0: Good evening. Let's start with a word of prayer. Father God, we thank you for your word given to us, that you would condescend to communicate with us in a way that we can understand, that you would give us wisdom, that we might know you, that we might understand ourselves before you. We praise you tonight. We pray for the filling of your Holy Spirit and your presence in this place. All in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. We're going to start tonight with a series in the book of Psalms. And the the Psalms are poetry. The Psalms are, are contained within a series of books in the Bible that we call wisdom literature. It starts with Job, Psalms, Proverbs, the Song of Solomon, Ecclesiastes. All of these books are designed to impart foundational wisdom to the people of God. Wisdom regarding who God is and who we are before Him in our walk here on earth. The Psalms are specially designed to bring us before God in a way that we can relate to, uh, just like a song. When we sing these songs, we relate to the text emotionally from our hearts and intellectually from our heads. The Psalms teach us and they comfort us. They remind us of who God is in His attributes and His character. They remind us of His authority and His sovereignty, His perfection and His holiness. Psalm 29, verses 1 through 2 says, Ascribe to the Lord, O heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Worship the Lord and the splendor of His holiness. Notice how it doesn't just tell us He is holy, but it gives us magnificent language that touches our, ha- our hearts as well as our minds regarding who God is. They tell us of His perfect balance of righteousness and judgment, grace and mercy, and His eternal and infinite nature. Psalms 19, verses 7 through 9 says... not only of who God is, but of who we are before Him. As they bring us crying out to Him. As they confirm our faith through prophecies fulfilled. As they cause us to just have rejoicing before Him. As they allow us to express our, our angst and our frustrations. As they give us instruction in prayer and, and so much more. Wisdom contained in the Psalms. As they get our feet grounded in the reality of our spiritual condition before a holy God. The Psalms ground us before God. In the Psalms, the rubber of our faith meets the road of God's faithfulness. Human imperfection meets the perfect holiness of God. Tonight we are in Psalm 1, and this psalm introduces the whole book of psalms, and there's many opinions and thoughts out there as to how the book of psalms is ordered and why it's in this way or that way. It's, it's put into five different books, but I, along with many others, feel that the first psalm was certainly placed here at the beginning intentionally. Psalm 1 grounds us in God's Word. God's Word is the foundation of our faith. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. Through the Word we are introduced to God's salvation plan. Through the Word we are introduced to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The Word grounds us. This psalm rounds us in the Word. This psalm draws a dividing line between the righteous and the wicked. And it gives a distinctive characteristic that defines the difference between the two. This psalm lays the groundwork of how to keep sin out of our lives. How to have spiritual prosperity. It teaches us how to stay away from the spiritual depravity, the lethargy, the the apathy that so easily creeps into our lives, that sin that so easily entangles us that we might thrive in our walk with Christ. If you aren't there yet, let's open to the book of Psalms. We're going to read Psalm 1. It says, Blessed is the man are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. What is the greatest problem that we have in this world? What is the single greatest problem that we have in this world? It's sin. It's sin. This psalm says it's the walking in the counsel of the wicked, standing in the way of sinners and sitting in the seat of mockers. It's in ourselves as well as the world around us. Jeremiah 17.9, it says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick who can understand it who no one Psalm 14:1 The fool says in his heart there is no god they are corrupt and do abominable deeds there is none who does good Romans 3:23 for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, right? Sin is what separates us from the God who created us. We are all born in sin. We have a sinful nature about us that we just can't shake. Even those of us who share in Jesus Christ and have been spiritually set free from sin, we still live in these bodies of flesh, these bodies of temptation, and we still have to deal with the temptations day in and day out. Every day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, as long as we live on this earth. Paul puts it like this in Romans chapter 7. Go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 7. Starting in verse 14. He says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold under sin. As Christians, we shouldn't forget that while we are perfected in Christ, we are still in that process of being sanctified, aren't we? Sin continues to be a problem for us because we can so easily become complacent and lethargic in our walk. Sin doesn't tend to come upon us so that we see it for what it is, does it? How does sin work? It's, it's not like an, an elephant coming at you from across the field, is it? Where you, you see the elephant charging at you from a long ways away, and you just kind of step aside and let it go by, and you keep going about your way, doing all the right things. Instead, Scripture defines Satan for us as a prowling lion patiently waiting for the opportune moment. Sin creeps up on us and slowly drags us down. According to verse 1 of the psalm, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. Sin walks, and then it comes to a stand, and eventually we end up sitting in it. It comes upon us gradually. The Christian businessman who has an affair doesn't generally just go up to his coworker and say, Hey, would you like to have an illicit affair that goes against everything I believe in right now? No. They, they walk together down the hall. And then they stand around the water cooler sharing their lives. And then they eventually sit down together at lunch and share with one another, growing close together and and starting to excuse it in so many ways. My spouse doesn't understand me. You've been such a great help to me. And when reality sits in, they look back and they say, how did I ever get here? How did this happen to me? Why did I ever let this happen? Because sin is coy. It is patient. It's in our flesh, and it's in the world around us. And some of us might say, Oh, I don't have any problem with having an affair. Well, sin has a different attraction for each of us, doesn't it? Satan knows what gets to you in particular. We're each tempted in different ways. For some, it might be an affair. For others, it could be food or alcohol or drugs or perhaps uncontrolled emotional outbursts and anger. Something that in some small way we've gotten away with or we've become used to. We haven't maybe met the consequence for it yet or maybe the consequence hasn't been severe enough. So gradually, it just kind of becomes a part of our lives, we walk, and then we stand, and then we sit. So if we have this sinful nature about us, we have these bodies of flesh, how in the world are we to combat the complacency of our sin nature? Blessed is the man, verse 2, whose delight is is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. We need to be grounded in God's word if we are to combat the complacency of our sinful nature and the world around us. God's word needs to be a delight to us, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 55 describes this delight so beautifully. He says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." The word of the Lord feeds our spirit. It gives us purpose and a hope as it points us to salvation in Jesus Christ. It protects us from the consequences of sin, both temporally and eternally. It reminds us of the deep love that God has for us in Jesus Christ in spite of our sin, that while we were still sinners, Jesus Christ came and died in our place on that cross. It reminds us of the lavish riches of his grace, as Ephesians so beautifully describes it, like, like a life buoy to a drowning man in the middle of the ocean. Or a parachute when you just fell out of an airplane. Thank God I have this. And, and you have an air, you, you fall gently to the ground. It should be a delight to us. Something that when we, we let that parachute out, we go, oh, thank God I'm alive because of what God has given to me. Because of what God has done for me. This verse, verse 2, reminds us of a couple of things regarding God's Word. First thing is that you got to use it. His delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law, He meditates. You got to use it. What if you jumped out of that airplane, but before you did, somebody offered you a parachute, and you said, Yes, please. You put on the parachute, buckle it on. You jump out of the airplane, and as you're falling, you just feel that wind going past your face, and you think, oh, this is so much fun. And You never use the parachute. Right? Eventually, you're going to meet the ground, aren't you, in the, in the worst of ways. We ought to. We need to. We must use the word of the Lord especially in this day and age when we so readily have uh, how many of you have one copy of God's word at home 2 3 4 5 right we have it so readily available to us and we need to meditate on it not, not as a mantra, just something we repeat as some kind of magical thing to keep us connected to God. But we need to use the minds that God has given to us. We need to study it. We need to memorize it. We need to know it. We need to ponder it and, and spend time in it. We need to think about it, recall it to our memory and, and apply it to our lives. Now, let me just make a side note on this. We need to get into God's Word. But don't think you need to be some kind of Bible guru right off the bat. Don't think that if, if I start this year-long Bible study and I don't do it every day, I'm, and I, and I fail to do it for a week, I just might as well give up. Don't think you have to be perfect at it, right off the bat, out of the starting gate. But do something with it. Do something with it, because the times that we are in God's Word, praying through God's Word with Him sincerely before Him, we will not be in sin. If you are praying to God and meditating upon his word, you will not be in sin. See, God's word is a sin inhibitor. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. If we do not cling to God's word, we will cling to the empty philosophies and the ways of the world around us. We will begin that slow descent into sin, and worldliness. So first, you need to meditate on it. You need to use it. You need to apply it. The second thing this verse reminds us about God's word is that we need to do these things. We need to meditate on it. We need to apply it, not just once, not just when we come to salvation and then forget about it, but constantly. We need to apply God's word to our lives incessantly. And what if we jumped out of the airplane, we had the parachute, we pull it, we got the parachute, and we're falling nice and easy. And then all of a sudden we decided, I, I've had enough of this, and we cut the strings. We're going to meet the ground in the worst of ways at some point, aren't we? We need God's Word constantly in our lives. How often do I need God's Word informing my life? Verse 2 says, Your delight is in the law of the Lord, and on His law He meditates day and night. We need to keep God's Word at the front of our thoughts day and night, all the time. Any time and space that we have that we do not fill with God's Word, you think the world will be glad to fill it for us? Anybody here on Facebook? Facebook? or use the interweb in any way. You don't need Facebook. You just need YouTube, right? You look at a video of cats. They're cute. What does that lead to? That leads to a video of dog shaming. And that, uh, what, what, how you say? Anyways, you go from that to something else, to something else, to something else, and you started at 9 o'clock, and then you go, why am I so tired? Oh, it's midnight. Where did the time go? The world will be glad to fill your time. If we are not being informed about the truth from God's word, the world will be glad to inform us about its own version through the Internet because you can believe everything you read there. The news, the media, your, your peers, opinions of those around you, even our own self-centered, fleshy counsel in our own minds will be glad to mislead us. If God does not shape you, the sin in your own flesh and the sinful world around you will. If we want real truth, then all the counsel we receive, all the media we take in, needs to be filtered through the truth of the Creator of all things, God and His Word. And how can we filter that? Unless we know God's word, unless we meditate on it, unless we ponder it, unless we consider it day and night. When temptations come, and they will, go to God's word. Pray through it. Lift it up to the Lord and spend time with Him. Be careful not to depend upon the things of this world to keep you out of trouble and away from sin because they will only lead you deeper into it and farther away from our necessary dependence upon God. Necessary dependence upon God. And I am on Facebook, and I I see a lot of things on Facebook from different people, And, and from a lot of people I... I can just see them saying, what do you mean necessary dependence upon God? What difference does it make how I walk or whose opinion I listen to? Who I allow to influence my life? I've got my salvation. YOLO, baby. And in case you missed it, YOLO means you only live once. My wife had to tell me that. (laughs) You can choose to live apart from God's counsel apart from God's Word. But there are benefits and there are consequences to your choice. In this psalm, we see two kinds of people. There is a dividing line between the two. There is a distinguishing characteristic between the two. There is the righteous and there is the wicked. The righteous and the wicked. The righteous, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree, verse 3, planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither, and all he does he prospers. The wicked are not so. They are not like that, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. The righteous delight in God's word And prosper for it. The wicked walk in the counsel of the world and will be judged for it. This psalm seems to imply to us that there's no such thing as a righteous man or woman of God, a Christian who does not delight in the law of God, who does not delight in God's word, applying it constantly to their lives. I'm not saying we have to be infallible. Jesus is infallible in our place. But the Christian will not take on salvation and then not use the parachute the whole way down. The Christian will keep God's word close to their hearts day and night. The wicked The one who does not believe will take on the character, the ways, the counsel of the world and let that become their defining characteristic. The thing that defines their posts on Facebook, that defines where they go and what they do when they aren't here at church. The one who loves God will have their life informed by God's word. And according to this psalm, they will be blessed. They will be happy. They will receive good things spiritually, if not also physically. There are practical applications from God's word, aren't there? Uh, Things like staying away from drugs and drunkenness. Scripture calls it being sober-minded. Are there physical benefits to that? Yeah, you have a clear mind, better health, you save money. Right? There's very practical, tangible benefits to being in God's Word and paying attention to it. Staying away from friends that make immoral choices. Scripture says bad company corrupts good character. Very practical information, isn't it? It, it, Staying away from people like that keeps you out of jail. Keeps you from doing stupid things. The more we're in God's word, the less stupid things we're going to do, right? Very practical. Very applicable wisdom from God's word. But the primary thing, the primary blessing we get from God's word is the spiritual blessings that are from delighting in God's word. When we know God's word, we come right before Jesus Christ We get to know the salvation that He has given to us through the cross, through the resurrection, the hope of eternal life. And we end up with a confidence that cannot be shaken. Jesus said that they're in my hand and nobody can take them from me. In Romans, Paul says that nothing in this world can separate us from the love of God in Jesus Christ. There are spiritual benefits, eternal spiritual benefits to delighting in God's Word. Verse 3 says that he is like a, a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season and its leaf does not wither and all that he does he prospers. And lots of people look at this and say, yeah, well, this should be a prosperity gospel. And if I'm doing the right thing before God, I should be wealthy and, and have everything I want in this world. And that's really not what the psalmist is describing here. It, it is a spiritual wealth that the righteous person has. And you can see that as he goes down, and he talks about the wicked. It's a spiritual condemnation. It is not a worldly condemnation that the wicked has, but the judgment is eternal and spiritual. So the blessings are eternal and spiritual that we will have. It is not talking about great worldly wealth, but we will produce the fruit of the Spirit as we walk with Christ. We will bear the fruit that comes from planting seeds of the gospel in the lives of those around us. Those are the benefits. That's the prosperity that we will receive. And there will be a reward in heaven for those who delight in the law of God who serve it to those around them and prosper in it. On the other side are the consequences. Verse 4 says, The wicked are not so. They are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the seat of the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish as we've heard recently from the study in Revelation from Pastor Paul, there will be a day of judgment if you choose to walk, stand, and sit in the ways of this world and not delight in the law of the Lord. The great white throne judgment is a real thing and it is coming for those who decline the free gift of salvation in Jesus Christ that is presented to us in the word for those who prefer to have their lives guided and informed by this world and turn away from the counsel that is given to us in God's word some of some people in this world they they stray from God because they they don't like what is said In the word. They don't like what is said about certain things that they'd rather be doing or, or they have friends who are into these sins and, and they, they think, but there's nothing wrong with them. I love them. They're my friends. And, and God's word says some hard things. It draws some hard lines and there is no denying it. But he is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He establishes the way of the righteous. He dictates the rules. And when we come before God, there's no getting out of it. There's, there's no talking away your way around it with the Lord saying, yeah, well, I just didn't like this or that. Verse 6 reminds us that the Lord knows the way of the righteous. He knows us inside and out. He knows you. When it says knows, it doesn't just mean an intellectual knowledge of what is right and what is wrong, and we're going to have our case presented to him. No. The Lord knows us intimately and personally. Psalm 139 reminds us that he knit us together in our mother's wombs. It's one of my favorite psalms because it just reminds us of the presence of God from the foundation of our lives through our death. God knows us. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12 and 13 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all are naked. That's not a comfortable word, is it? All are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So if you have a friend or if you yourself has a problem with some of the things in God's word, please know that God is okay with your confusion and your frustration. We're going to see it in the psalms, and a lot of psalms, you, you hear it declared, Why do the wicked prosper? God is okay with that question. He's okay with the frustration that says, Why, O oh Lord, how long are you going to wait? He's okay with that. It's in the psalms. These questions. But as we're going to see next week in Psalm 2, he is dead set against our rebellion. He's okay with our questions, he's okay with our frustrations and our confusion. He's dead set against our rebellion. Are you grounded in God's word? Who or what are you allowing to influence your choices, your worldview? your free time. Cling to God and His Word. Reap the blessings that it will bring. Are you grounded in Jesus Christ? If you've not yet acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to know more about Him, please talk to me after. Talk to Pastor Paul. Talk to any of the pastors, any of the elders here. Or ask the person next to you. Our greatest problem is sin. The only cure is Jesus Christ. God's word points us to salvation in Christ alone. Be grounded in his word. That you would prosper and not be judged. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for its reminders to us of Your love, of salvation, of who we are before You. Lord, we thank You for speaking to us in this way. Forward, forthright, not withholding, not withholding Your righteousness and not withholding Your gracious, merciful love, not withholding the cross. We praise you, O God, this night as a family surrounded around your word. In Jesus Christ's name, amen.